Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey guys, I'm Andy Baldacci and welcome back to the Agency Advantage Podcast. Today for episode number 17, I'm excited to have Nate McGuire from Code My Views joining me. Nate's the co-founder of Code My Views, which is an on-demand development team to help you convert designs into code. This isn't his first time in this space, as he and his partner Connor actually had a similar service called the Site Slinger, which they sold a few years ago. This time around, however, they wanted to move up market, and now they're working with high-end creative agencies. Six months after launching, Code My Views has already built a team of 25 developers and isn't slowing down. In today's chat, Nate covers the reasons why so many agencies are stuck at the $500 to $5,000 project level, how he was able to break out of that move-up market, and the steps you need to take to do the same. So without further ado, here's Nate. All right, Nate, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Andy. Glad to be here. So just to give the listeners a little bit of background on what you do and all of that, you and your partner, Connor Hood, recently launched uh, Code My Views, which can you describe just a little bit of what you guys do? Yeah, so uh, Code My Views is a basically a development shop that partners with agencies. We have a platform that helps us to manage a pretty high workload of projects with various agencies around the U.S. and around the world, doing everything from front-end development work to you know, WordPress marketing sites, custom applications, and custom iOS and Android apps. Yeah, and so, th- but this isn't kind of the first foray you guys have had into this. You, you had another company, the, the Site Slinger, before that got you started, right? Right. So uh, Connor and I worked on the Site Slinger together. That was uh, we we worked with agencies then quite a bit as well, and that's kind of what led us back to Code My Views. Is that while we were working at the Site Slinger, we primarily only offered. Um, front-end development, and then some WordPress sites. And even in, I think it was, you know, like three and a half, four years since we worked on that um, when we were starting Code My Views, front-end and web development has just, you know, exploded and become increasingly complex. And so we really saw opportunity there. Yeah, and so I'm looking kind of at, at Code My Views right now and going through the site, and it's I like how you call it. You say you're on-demand development team. And so when agencies come to you, what are they usually looking for help with specifically? I think more and more agencies are realizing that, you know, not unlike how people don't roll their own servers anymore, um, you don't necessarily have to have your own in-house development team with, um, you know, all that burn associated with it. And then, especially if it's not your area of expertise, most agencies are really focused on the creative side of things. So when they're coming to us, they're really looking for a partner that can execute at a high quality and and take what they're designing and implementing it into, you know, a really well tested, good quality product for their clients. Okay, so you're primarily partnering with design agencies then. Yeah, design agencies that kind of encompasses a lot of different things. So there's creative agencies that focus on you know, branding and marketing. There's uh, event style agencies that do a lot of like in-person stuff and uh, digital is only a small component of that. There's SEO, marketing agencies. There's, you know, a wide spectrum that we help. Yeah. And so I guess my first question is why don't 
a lot of these agencies do it in-house? I know it's not easy, but, but what is it usually that holds them back from having an in-house team that's able to execute on these projects? Because I'm guessing it's not usually just a one-off project that they need to have fully developed. They probably have a recurring stream of, of clients that they could help with that. So why don't they do it in-house? Right. Yeah. No, I think so everybody, you know, every agency does not outsource. A lot of agencies will do everything in-house. Um, I think more and more are looking at outsourcing to, you know, a partner or a network of freelancers because, like I was saying before, with servers, like you use AWS now or you use Rackspace now, you don't spin up servers in, you know, in a warehouse next door. The same thing with development. Everything an agency does is usually more focused on creative. If it was focused on development, you'd be a dev shop. So as an agency, your core competency is typically doing branding, doing creative, doing, you know, video, doing film, whatever the case may be. And the overhead of managing and maintaining a dev team when you could just have a dev team on demand with a, a no fixed costs um, becomes increasingly attractive, I think, to agencies. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. Cause I hadn't thought about that way. It's sort of in the sense of like, this isn't your specialty. If you're selling your design work, if you're selling your creative, that's something that you need to focus on primarily. And, and like you're saying, with front-end design being so much more complex and having so many more moving parts now, you don't necessarily have the time to stay on top of it all. Right. And so you know, you need specialization. And so if they're specializing on design, you have to be equally as good on development to execute on on the designs that these people are creating. Um, and so I think having that level of expertise where all we do is development, um, you know, really gives us an edge. Like you said, there are some true kind of full service agencies, creative agencies that do it all um, and do it well. But there's probably a ton out there that try to do it all and don't actually succeed that well with it. For the agencies that are doing it in-house, what mistakes do they usually make? Um, I think one of the things we see the most is that because you are sitting next to each other, there's kind of like a breakdown of standards. So like you, there's a lot of back and forth between designer and developer with us, the way that we work and we're, you know, we have a lot of processes in place is that when we get your designs, that's like a, you're handing that off to your CTO, who's going to fully spec everything out and do like a full on development brief. So if your designs are not locked down before the development team gets them, it becomes a bit of a mess. And so working with our partners to make sure that the designs are locked down, client signs off on everything, we spec everything out and we have a full understanding of the project, that's something that should be done whether or not you're outsourcing. That There should just be like a, a level of diligence between design and development that reduces bugs, you know, gives you a lot more reliability on, on delivering on time. Because that's something that it's funny, you wouldn't typically think of it that way, but it's like when communication, when you're sitting next to someone and communication is so easy, you can avoid kind of a lot of these regimented processes because you can say, oh, I'll just ask him about it later. Right. Or like, oh, we just need to move this up five pixels. Well, it's like that should have been right the first time, like <laughs> before. The right. Record. No, exactly. Like, <laughs> what is the process like if an agency is coming in, it's like, all right, they're not just going to talk about what they what they want and say, oh, here's some wireframes like. How does an agency hand off a project to you? So most agencies will, uh, part of their process is they'll do the wireframes, they'll do the branding up front, 
establish all those things before going into, say, we're designing like a new marketing site for a Fortune 500 company. Um, they'll be then going into develop each of the pages for the site and they'll come out with either a PSD file or a sketch file or an illustrator file of each of those pages. And so that's usually pretty standard across the web agencies, you know, that process of creating those mocks for a website. Um, the same could be true for a custom application or, you know, whatever the thing is that you're building. And then from there, depending on the agency, you could do a whole bunch of things to try and deliver on this, you know, from a development perspective. So I've seen all sorts of, you know, odd ways of, of implementing things, um, (laughs) which, you know, having that process in place really makes it easier to deliver. And that's where, that's where we like to live. If I'm an agency, I give you all those documents that you need. How long does it take you to give me a quote on what it'll cost to get it back? Usually we're able to get you a quote, you know, within the same day, um, sometimes less than an hour. It's always going to be within 24 hours because everyone on our team that you're talking to, whether it's a project engineer, the developer is technical. We were all writing code at some point. And so, you know, any project that we get, we can spec out pretty quickly. Um, And that allows us to get started usually within a day or two, Um, especially when we start working with people on an ongoing basis. It makes it really quick. You can just start same day. When you say working with people on an ongoing basis, you mean working with agencies more regularly? Yes. Yeah. So that's where that's our goal. I mean, is to really partner with people, not just like, oh, we have a project and here you go. Um, You know, people do all this work every month, right? So we should be helping. So you're looking to almost become kind of like a white label partner to these agencies. You want to be their kind of one-stop shop. They know if they have a project that needs to be done, they can hand it off to you and they'll get it back right easily, right? Right, exactly. I understand the appeal of it intuitively, but I'm wondering is like a lot of agencies have teams of kind of a hodgepodge team of like outsourced contractors they work with when they have work, when they need help in different areas. What is the advantage of them working with you guys with Code My Views as opposed to just kind of trying to outsource it to some contractors themselves? So that's uh, we actually built a uh, a platform that helps automate a lot of this. Um, but I would say just generally, if you think about the management overhead of managing uh, a freelance designer, a freelance developer, maybe you are maintaining or building, especially for agencies. It's like in one day you need to build something in Python and the next day you need to build something in PHP. Managing the, the different people is a lot of overhead. And you have to also account for the fact that sometimes those freelancers aren't available. Um, they're on other projects, so they're not full-time on client work. And so with a team like ours, it makes it easier because we are always available. Um, and the people that are working on client work are always on, on client work. Interesting. And so what, can you talk a little bit more about the platform you said you're creating? Yeah. So it's uh, just a custom Laravel application that we built. It Basically, you create a project. It has a project thread um, that you can communicate with the project engineer and the developer on the project, you upload files. Uh, 
So during QA, you can also see like the status of QA items. Basically what it does is it allows us to put all the design assets in one place, create a development brief for you that you can review, and then communicate you with you during the course of the project. And that helps to, you know, manage, you know, multiple projects across clients. Right. And so I'm trying to kind of visualize this a bit. And so when an agency, if they upload a project to this platform, are they automatically assign someone to work with or is it like a marketplace where they're picking who they want to work with no so everyone that is doing development is part of our team so the way it works is you're first assigned a code my views project engineer Mm -hmm. Um, so that's like what i do on a regular basis is spec out a lot of these projects and so um I'll communicate with you, ask questions, uh, go through each of the views, build a development brief. You'll review the development brief and say, okay, this is, you know, this, your interpretation of what I sent you is correct. This all looks good. Um, we're ready to start development. The invoicing is handled through the platform. And then, um, as a, as a customer, you can, you know, come back and check in when we stage the files. You can, you know, view it from there. Um, it's pretty straightforward, a little Basecamp-esque. Um, <laughs> okay, so it's kind of like um, it gives them insight into where everything is moving along in the process. So they can check in and make sure it's on schedule and all of that. Right. Okay. Right, and like who your developer is and, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. How do you and, and Connor kind of split the responsibilities of running a, a new business like this? Um, so Connor and I are both kind of unique. I... We're both technical. He manages all of the platform building and the client work and managing all of our developers. Um, I handle kind of the front end, like new business development, specking out projects, um, and that kind of thing. Okay. Well, I guess our easiest question is, how did you get your first agency clients? <laughs> we knew as soon as we started Code My Views that... Like we knew what kind of customer we wanted. We wanted to go after the, you know, basically the high end agencies that you can tell have recurring clients. So you can tell by their website, you can tell by their LinkedIn, you can tell by how many employees they have. Like you, it's evident who is being successful in the business. And so starting with the top of the market and basically working our way down on a geographic basis and just like going and meeting with people, um, you know, flying out there and being there helps a lot. Um, yeah. What what size agencies do you typically work with? Um, it really depends. Uh, we work with kind of usually the small end would be like 10 people. And the high end is as big as a thousand. But that, you know, those are you're working like within divisions of. Yeah, it's not like you work for the whole agency. How big would a project need to be for the agency to kind of make it financially worth it for them to hand things off to you? Um, it really depends on what type of project it is and what you're doing and how how you price things. Um, what I like to say is that you shouldn't pay more than you know twenty to thirty percent for development. So, like, if we're charging. 10k that needs to be a pretty expensive project what made them confident enough what do you think about what you guys offer made them say like okay you sold me like i I, this is why it's worth it for me to go with you um i think there's a lot of 
I mean, to be frank, like trash dev shops out there. Um, and I think that if you know what you're talking about and you have experience, which Connor and I have run, you know, a very similar business and it, it was successful before. Um, I think it's very evident to, to people. And so I think having that experience helps a lot. And so you can go in there and know exactly what problems the agencies are having, know exactly, you know, where some of their pain points are going to be and, and help them through that. So I think the experience provides a lot of value and that makes obviously makes the sale easier to close. Yeah. And so for some of those pain points that you are, cause I mean, you understand what it's like to, to serve agencies and how to help them and what they struggle with. But like, what would a bad kind of one of those trashy, bad dev shops, what don't they get? Like, what do they do poorly that really negatively affects the experience of working with them? Right. And, and this can be true of a freelancer too, is I think the biggest thing is communication. A lot of, I mean, as with everything these days, we're always on a deadline, but agencies especially live on deadlines. And so if someone comes to us and says, we need this in four days, and if it's, you know, humanly possible for us to get it done in four days, we'll figure out a way to do it. And so I think a lot of agencies or a lot of development teams are not responsive enough to meet those kind of demands. And if they do say they're going to do it, they don't actually deliver. And so people get burned by that, you know, badly. Or, you know, you have a freelancer that just kind of disappears and stops working with you and you don't know why. Um, Right. I feel like a lot of times when it's almost... I don't know why it happens, but it seems like when people get in the weeds and they're like, oh, like I'm going to blow this deadline, I'm not going to come close, they'll just go silent and just kind of walk away. Right. And that's the thing is like in, as an agency owner, I think that that reliability, that communication, that, that predictability is one of the most important things to have with any sort of outsourcing partner because your client, they've given you the deadline and you need, you look bad if someone else messes up because it's still on you. Yeah. Like that's your, your moneymaker. Like you can't have an unreliable team, especially when it comes to development when, which I think, you know, lens goes back to where's your core competency. And like a lot of times if someone walks away, like you, you don't have anybody else. Um, you know, in house, it's not like you can be like, Oh crap, we got to pull somebody off of this other project and have them save the, save the day. Uh, <laughs> right. If you, if you have one PHP guy, right. He disappears and you're screwed. Yeah. So there's, there's no, you know, no redundancy. Right. <laughs> How do you ensure this predictability in, in, I guess, delivering the product? Uh, a big part of it is not, starting the project until the team is actually ready. I think that's another thing a lot of freelancers or dev shops, like especially working with freelancers, dev shops can be a little better about this. But if you if you say, oh, I want to build this app and I have an idea and a few views built out, like, you know, wireframes, a freelancer might start working on it. And they might be happy to start like billing you hourly. Uh, for us, it it doesn't make sense to start building a product that's not fully defined. And so, being able to know when somebody's not really ready to get started and tell them that and say, "Hey, 
you know, you need to build out all of these views in Photoshop and it needs to account for X, Y, and Z. And, and having that as part of the quote process provides a lot of value um, and make sure that you can, you know, deliver in, in when you say you're going to deliver because the project is fully known, if that makes sense. Um, obviously, more complex stuff is never fully known, but that, that's when the experience of accounting for um, delays and testing and that kind of thing just comes into play. Do you guarantee your quotes? Is that right? Right. Yeah. So, like, um, if if you submitted a seven-page front-end development project and you needed, you know, you had seven PSDs to turn into HTML, CSS code, fully responsive, we would, there's usually like 15 day standard delivery, 10 day expedited, and then like five or seven day um, urgent delivery. Sometimes we can do faster. And then um, that price and date is guaranteed. And so how, how do you deal with kind of those inevitable changes that need to be, be made? So that's part of the development brief. So so basically you're signing off on, you know, your project encompasses X and whatever X is, is fixed. And so if it's fixed during development, we deliver it to you and it matches that fixed spec that we both signed off on, then we can agree that that's done and work towards a solution. Obviously we want to get it to where it needs to be. So if the customer comes back and changes something, then we can, you know, evaluate that, do a small fixed fee adjustment and then, um, do that in however many days it takes. Okay. Yeah, because I'm looking right now at the um, the document you guys have, the Ultimate WordPress theme development workflow. And you say, like, yeah, inadequate preparation causes 80% of development slowdowns and quality problems. And then you have this list of basically every single step that you follow to make sure that you guys are able to deliver kind of on your promise and on deadline and, and all of that. Was this something that you just, day one, you're like, all right, this is what we need? Or how did you kind of build up these processes? Um, that that definitely goes back to what we saw at the Site Slinger. Like, we we were interested in going up market towards some of the bigger and more, you know, custom projects. Um, but we there was not a good way to process, like turn it into a process. And since we wanted to do, we, we were doing a high volume of projects. So in order to make it worthwhile, we needed to do a high volume of these, of these kinds of things. And so one of the things we knew coming back and doing this is that we needed to build those processes like right away so that we could handle the workload of multiple clients and, and multiple complex applications. Okay. And so how, what was it, what was it like for you to make sure to kind of onboard your own team and make sure that they kind of have these processes down and that they're able to follow everything and stick to it? Uh, it comes to documentation. Connor's, mm-hmm. Connor's good about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the things that, that I'm curious about is, so say that I run a small but growing dev shop but we were primarily working on like one-off projects that aren't very big, maybe a, a few thousand bucks. Maybe the biggest is ten thousand. If we want to start working on on more upmarket clients, not necessarily partnering with agencies, but it could include that. Like, what what do you think 
set you guys apart that allowed you to make that transition to the more up, up market clients? Was it having all these processes? Was it being more predictable or what would you say? Um, I think it, it's always taking your level of professionalism up to, to the level of like enterprise grade. Like you, you potentially could be, if you're an agency of, at that level, you could potentially be working with like CMOs of, fortune 100 companies and providing a lot of value to them. Um, and so I think it's just a matter of understanding what, what those people up market need and delivering on that. Yeah. And where did you get that understanding? Like what was your experience? I, I know a site singer you work with the tons of people kind of from all over the board, but where did you get the understanding to know what these up market clients needed? Uh, getting told no a lot. <laughs> no, um, I mean, just talking to a lot of people and, you know, we, we really enjoy working with agencies because we, we're, we really love the development side. And so we kind of, we kind of yin and yang with like a really creative agency. And so we just really enjoy, um, how they do a lot of different new projects all the time and how, you know, it's not, it's not the same product over and over. We like building new things. And so, we saw what that looked like and just kind of went after it. Yeah, because that's, that's interesting you phrase it that way because a lot of people would think, look at kind of what you guys do is, is not entirely productized, but sort of. Um, you still have custom proposals and you're still dealing with different things, but some people, some creatives especially, would say like, how do you do this day in, day out? But I like the way you looked at it is that you said, well, no, like the stuff we're doing, the, the creative work that's being brought to us is always different. So even though kind of we're following a somewhat rigid process, the what we're actually implementing is different and we're working on something new each day. Right. And I feel the agencies, you know, that we're working with especially are, are really the glue of the new economy. Like they're building stuff for brand name startups and software companies and, you know, fortune 1000, like these, this is where it seems like this is where the economy is going. Everything's going to software. And so these agencies are really translating a lot of like the real business, even though it's behind the scenes, it's like the real stuff that's actually getting built. Right. No, that's a good way of putting it. Like it, it's, it's keeping you, you're on the forefront of things. You're seeing what's new, what's coming out there that, and that is, changing and i agree it all is kind of moving towards software back to kind of what we're talking about moving up market i think a lot of people especially on the dev side more so than the creative side but well on both probably but like they want to focus almost entirely on the quality of the work that they're doing and they think kind of all the management processes all of those things are kind of not necessarily stuffy but they just think it, it shouldn't matter and I'm guessing that you would sort of agree that at a certain point to work out market, the code should be good. It needs to be good at a bare minimum. But what you're sort of saying is that those other things are really what stands, sets you apart from the rest and lets you have conversations with those CMOs to kind of stand out from the crowd a bit is that you need to be a professional. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair description because I think, at a certain, uh, like, quality code is the entry fee, you know? Like, uh, the, there's no, if you're working on a project for, you know, whomever, top, you know, top 100 companies in the U.S., like, you can't, you can't not have quality code. So that's just the base level requirement. 
Um, so I think coming in and being able to communicate effectively, be, you know, be professional, be able to, if you need to fly out there, fly out there, like all of these things that just go with, um, how, how your customer's world works. Like they're not, you know, the CMO is not working from a coffee shop. Right. So <laughs> like as much as I do that, um, you need to be willing to get up and suit up, I guess, and go say hi. Yeah. I like me. So yeah, they're not working from the coffee shop. Cause that's true. And, and understanding kind of where they're coming from, I think is crucially important to success because, a lot of people, like you're saying, they, they focus on, or like I was saying, is they focus on the product itself and not everything around that. But these, especially the agency clients, the money is only, and the product is only secondary. Like they have a reputation online, in the risk of you just not delivering is probably one of their biggest risks that they can take. And they're willing to pay a premium right. if you can guarantee that you're reliable. Right, exactly. And, and the other thing too is the agencies, like, even though, the digital or development part may be a small percent of what they do. It's usually mission critical. And so right. like if, if that doesn't work, like even though it's not the biggest part of the budget, if that doesn't work, nothing works. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. You're in San Francisco and in Connors and Austin. Is that right? Right. Okay. And is your, the team of developers you work with, is that worldwide or do you locally or how do you source that? Yeah, so we're, are you familiar with Buffer? Yep. We really like the Buffer model. So we're doing 100% distributed team, although we do have developers in San Francisco with me in Silicon Valley, and then also in Austin with Connor. Um, But then we have them in Amsterdam and St. Petersburg and uh, looking to scale up kind of all over the globe based on having global clients and on different time zones. Yeah, because I know one of the, especially in San Francisco, one of the reasons why a lot of agencies aren't going to do this in-house is just that they can't attract the talent. The, yeah. the salaries that startups are offering, the salaries that bigger companies are offering is just they can't compete. They can't handle those fixed costs. Right. So, so they're, how, they're either getting lower quality or they're getting super high turnover. Exactly right. Because even if, if someone is there, a lot of people – especially developers, they're going to get bored with it and want to work for one of those startups or want to work for something a little more exciting. And so how are you able to compete with that and attract good talent? So one of the, I mean, that's a big reason you go globally. Like it's a misconception. And I think there's, you know, some competitors out there that tout Silicon Valley talent. It's a misconception that all of the good engineers are in Silicon Valley. Like, yes, there are a lot of experienced engineers in Silicon Valley doing a lot of really awesome things, but they're, not necessarily the same, like that's not necessarily a good fit for client work. And if you're highly specialized and you're really good at front end or you're really good at back end or you're really good at, you know, making WordPress sites, maybe, um, those skills are highly valued in the agency world. And so you can do, instead of working on, you know, some startups product, for however long um and maybe you're in a smaller market so like maybe you're in austin working on some smaller startups product that is not really doing anything super exciting or you can work on client work that you're getting something new all the time and so because we can recruit from anywhere yes we can get good people in silicon valley that are interested in doing client type work 
Um, but we can also source from wherever we need to, wherever the skill set is. Interesting. So how many kind of how many developers do you work with right now? We're up to twenty three now. Oh wow, okay. And when just so listeners know, when did you launch officially? Uh, I think officially, I think it's been almost six months now. That's yeah, that's crazy. And so, what has that kind of trajectory been like? Have there been any difficulties with you scaling to this point? Because that's pretty fast growth. Yeah, we've uh, yeah, it's um, it's been fun so far. I don't, you know, honestly, I. I feel like we're just kind of getting to the level where we were at, at the Sight Slinger. So I, I anticipate a lot more work to come. Um, and I, you know, I'm focused on like 10 xing what we what we're doing now. So that's where we hope to be. The growth of Code My Views has been impressive to say the least, and they want to quickly get to 10 times where they are now. We're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, but when we come back, Nate's going to share how exactly they plan on reaching that impressive goal. Hang tight, and we'll be back in 30 seconds. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees, where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. All right, now back to Nate. Right, so your experience kind of got you to where you've been, it's been fast, so you've been comfortable at least with what to expect and how to handle it up until this point. Right, yeah, now it's now it's starting to get more interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So what is the kind of, what's the growth strategy from here? Uh, we need to start attracting, you know, as many high quality developers that we can, obviously, because we'll need to scale that up. Um, but from here, what we, because we're looking more towards these high quality agencies that want an ongoing partner, um, we're, we're focused on quality of the client more so than like a huge volume right now. And so we can build up our platform with a, a stable of really high quality clients and then expand out from there. Um, part of that also is we want to build recurring or we, we actually have built a recurring product, um, the WordPress concierge service and start, you know, spending product time on building out different services for the agencies to use that we work with. Can you, can you talk about that service a little bit? Yeah, so what we noticed, and I'm sure everybody that has done any dev work has heard this, like somebody built something and now no one is there to maintain it. (laughs) And a lot of times what ends up happening with these agencies is they'll build, uh, for example, a WordPress site for, it's usually like a marketing kind of brochure type site for a company. And then after, we support everything for 30 days, but agencies sometimes will not, 
like make maintenance clear. Like they just sometimes don't understand that you always need to account for maintenance. And so maybe no one really knows who's supposed to be responsible for the site and like the client's upset with you and you don't have dev time to like deal with this. Um, what we do is everybody that we work with, you get 30 day support. It's all like any bugs that come up, we take care of. But then after that, you're either supporting yourself or you're onboarded to the WordPress concierge platform. And what that is, is all plugins, upgrades, all of that stuff is handled for you. So the site doesn't go down. There's emergency downtime response, 24 seven chat and email support. Um, basically you can, email concierge at codemyviews.com similar to how you would use like Amex concierge um, and just kind of like ask us anything to do with your WordPress site and we can fix it or update it. And that includes, you know, like small changes or setting up a quick form or something like that. I'm sure it is different, but like how would that be different than something like saying hosting with WP engine and using a service like WP curve? Um, it's a higher quality, higher touch service. Um, and agencies are typically, they're, they're white labeling it. So we like, you can use the platform and, um, like you use their branding and give it to whoever the client is. And so it's more like a part of their maintenance contract. You're kind of almost integrating with the agency, with their processes so that they can sell to the client and say, hey, we'll we'll take care of this. You know we have you covered. Right, exactly. Because that works a lot better than like, oh, here's a third-party service that we were white labeling, but by the way, they built your site. Like that's kind of a weird. Right. And, and it's also true. It's like you guys were responsible for building the site. So you're familiar with the code. You're familiar with all that. You know it was done correctly. And so I, I can understand that. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and um, so we see like the market for that because it's basically a, a partial time developer. And so um, you could do that for PHP or Ruby or Python or, you know, iOS or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the main areas you kind of see for, for building out your recurring revenues, I'm assuming, right? Right. Exactly. So I'm looking back at the site and you have... For the services, you you have the PSD to HTML, Twitter Bootstrap, PSD to email, WordPress development, custom apps. Is there any one of those that's like the clear thing that most people are choosing, or is it really all over the board in terms of projects? Um, it really depends on the agency and who their customer is. Um, we're seeing a lot of custom applications. We're seeing a lot of custom WordPress sites, obviously a lot of front end. Uh, that's kind of the three categories I would put it into is front, front end development, WordPress and custom applications. Okay. And so, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's more for you. There might not be one that everyone's coming to you for, but inside a single agency, they're probably getting a lot more of one job than the other. Right. Like some agencies do a ton of WordPress marketing sites. Some agencies only do custom applications. Some agencies um, have a back-end developer, but not a front-end developer. So we do all the front-end. Um, so it just kind of depends on on what skill set and which agency. I will say a lot of people do WordPress sites, like a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so how much, if they're coming to you with kind of the WordPress is pretty much still the king. There's other CMSs getting that are out there, but like WordPress is king. But for, for the apps, do you, do they come to you and say, 
we want to work with this technology or is it more, are you guys consulting with them more in helping to make those decisions? Uh, for the most part, we usually we're consulting kind of before, before it gets to that stage. Um, so they'll come to us and say, you know, we're closing this project or close this project. Um, what do you, what do you think about doing it this way? And we kind of talk through that and recommend a solution. Um, sometimes you'll get more the CTO type that knows exactly what they want, uh, which is even, you know, that's great too. So, yeah, because I, I remember in one of the other interviews you did, you said, yeah, if everyone just gave us like a 42-page spec document, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is that, super, that's exactly what we want. Super rare, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, and so, so how much kind of hand-holding, hand-holding is there usually in that process of getting all the information you need from, from your clients? Um, it depends on the client. Some need more high touch than others. Uh, no, but it's just about being good at asking questions. Like if we don't, if we don't understand the project, it's going to get screwed up. So if we don't, if we don't ask the right questions and get a full understanding of what needs to be built, um, then that's, you know, that's on us. That's not on, that's not their fault. I really like the idea of, you know, maybe not your virtual CTO, but at least your virtual like senior engineer that is asking the right questions. And, you know, before you start building is having, I guess I would say like frank discussion about like what is possible and impossible and, and that kind of thing. No, and I think that mindset, like coupled with just general professionalism, that mindset is really one of the most important things when moving up market is because, you see it, especially with freelancers, of course, but like even with smaller agencies that they're going to get these specs or this, these wireframes or whatever and just get right to work without taking the time to ask like, wait, is this like going to be a good result? Like, is this the best way to do it? Right. And, and having those conversations and asking those, those questions to get to the bottom of it, I feel like is what sets you apart from kind of the more amateurish, uh, dev shops or, or whatever else and lets you kind of capture more value because you're providing more value. Right. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's infinitely more valuable to not ever screw up a project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, when I started out of college, I went and worked at Ernst and Young and we worked with teams in India. And one of the cultural differences between the States and some, you know, a lot of places that people outsource to is it's not necessarily culturally acceptable to question, um, like your boss or someone who's giving you instructions. And so you end up in a situation where like for us, it's uh, for Americans, it's very normal to just like ask a lot of questions and kind of, some people think we're kind of rude sometimes. <laughs> and, um, and so you, it was always interesting because working with my senior manager, you know, straight out of college, like having him explain to me how important it is just to make sure everyone is on the same page and everything is clear and encouraging the asking of questions, like bringing that kind of experience through to just general outsourcing or just generally just working with anyone. Like, you know, being, being clear about expectations eliminates a lot of you know the ambiguity and problems you have and so that's what like with the plat like i don't mean to keep going back to the platform but the the 
but showing a development brief and getting sign off. And a lot of that is just really about eliminating ambiguity. And that's, I think what allows um, the projects to go so successfully. And that's something that you can do, you know, whether you're outsourcing or not is just being really diligent and really clear about expectations will eliminate a lot of these problems. I would say it's like the best practices of freelancing or of consulting. It's like get everything figured out up front, over communicate. And it's just all the, the basics, but so many people kind of resist having those set processes in place, whether it's their personality or for whatever reason, but it is kind of crucial to success. And I think if people, I'll make sure to link to it in the, um, in the show notes, but the, for like the ultimate WordPress theme development workflow, like I think that kind of lays out very well, like just how important it is to go over all these steps and have a process. And it gives people like a way to say like, okay, that's what this should look like, or at least like with something similar to that. Right. Exactly. And that's actually online at developmentworkflow.com. So, Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'll get that link there for sure to distill it down. And for these agencies that do want to start, that have the, the skills, the technical skills, like you said, is the entry fee, but they want to kind of develop those other skills to move up market, to, to get better clients and kind of systematize what they're doing. What would be like a, a first step? Because a lot of what you're talking about is like, I get it, but even your experiences have come from a long experience from Ernst and Young, from, from the site slinger, from slowly working up. So like, what would be like a first step to kind of making your, your agency a bit more professional? Um, I think it starts, I think the easiest way to do it is to start like with your next project. Um, so the next one that you're getting ready to close, whether you're building an SOW or writing an email to define the scope of the project, just be as detailed as possible. And so it starts from there, like not if you're as detailed as possible up front and communicating with the client and you close the client and they've signed off on a specific set of requirements, then it's really easy to know what you're supposed to deliver. And that kind of funnels down. And so I think, you know, sometimes we get lazy with doing step one, right? And then it, you know, just becomes a mess. Um, so I think if you start out, really clearly define what you want to do and don't, you know, don't be in a rush to sign the SOW, be in a rush to make sure the SOW is right. Um, or the, you know, whatever the scope of work is, is correct and, and fully understood. And I think that's the easiest way to, to get started. If you're further along and you spec everything out and you're having trouble more at the, how do I get development to work better? Um, I think sometimes a lot of people need to do a frank evaluation of um, their current outsourcing person or their current internal person and really understand like what types of projects you're doing and how that fits into their skill set and how to effectively utilize the resources that you have. Because like if you have a good developer, but your developer writes PHP and your clients want stuff in Java um, you either need to convince your client to write in PHP or find a Java developer. So, so um, you know, really not saying like I don't know anything about that, so I'm going to trust my dev. Like that's a bad solution. Um, so, like educate yourself and 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 then really you know do a good job specking out the projects you want to build. And uh, you know. yeah, it all seems to a lot of. It- 
really seems to come down to specking things out and doing the the research and work up front to make sure that once you get started, you're going to be able to, if you follow these steps, you're going to get the a result that the client's happy with. And it's all kind of front loading that work. Right, exactly. Because then once you start coding, you're, you know, straight on till morning. We're good to go. Like everything's locked down. Um, there's no ambiguity because you, and it's, it's far easier to ask the question before you start than get to the end of the project and be like, oh, I've been meaning to ask you, where does this button go? And then have the client like freak out because they're looking at a half complete thing. Um, I, I think it's infinitely better to ask questions when no code has been written because they can't and they can't like look at it. Right, definitely. And that's the thing is a lot of for clients who like they can't seeing like the half done product they have they can't visualize the end it freaks them out right yeah no only finished products for clients <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no so i think it's almost counterintuitive to a lot of kind of smaller and growing agencies because they think they they just really want whether they're in like a feast or famine cycle where but they they just really want to close the deal and they think that by by asking all these questions, by doing all this, and that's going to hurt their chances of getting the deal. And so they almost just want to get out the SOW and just get to work right away so they can get paid. But like on the reverse of it is that by showing your client that you have these processes in place, that you're professional, you're going to, it's going to be easier for you to find more work. Right. Right. Exactly. Because I, I think that the, I think there are a lot of people working on projects in the $500 to $5,000 range. Like there's a lot of competition. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that the market for web development is massive and growing. I feel it's almost growing from the top down because these large companies are finally kind of getting on board with the web. And so everything is going digital. And if every single company everywhere has a digital presence. Um, there's going to be a lot of small to medium to large businesses that have, you know, to where 10 K is nothing to them. Um, and so that's, that's the meat of the market. And so if you can just kind of like level up into that middle SMB, you know, kind of medium sized business, I think there's a lot more room, um, to grow there. No, I think that that's a good that's a good point because a lot of times you're like, all right, how many businesses really need a website? Like, how many businesses are out there, even in like a small niche? And then when you actually like look at the numbers, like, oh, there's a ton of yeah. these businesses. Uh, like, uh, like, a lot. <laughs> we had like a client that we built a site for for a two like a two billion dollar company, and as soon as we finished building the site, I mean, you know, this is who knows is good or bad decision, they rebranded. And so now we have to build the site again. And, you know, they don't care how much it costs. Like, I mean, obviously they have a budget, but like they're, it's such a, the development of a site is such a small portion of the agency's overall, like engagement with these clients that it doesn't like, it's you, almost a rounding here. Right. Exactly. Cause they're, you know, they're doing million dollar, contracts or multi-million dollar contracts with these large companies for design, creative branding, look, you know, whatever the case may be. You covered a ton today with all this, but I think it, when you distill it down, like it's, it makes sense how to move up market and, but it's about being professional, doing the work up front and making sure you're reliable in demonstrating that to your clients. And like you said, is 
that's there's a lot of money out there that so many agencies just aren't even really trying to pursue because they focus on just kind of the very basic entry level of clients. And when you're at that point, you're competing with so many others. Right. So it is tough. Yeah. So that was good points. And so we already touched on a little bit. You said you're hoping to just keep growing, not necessarily immediately out. You want to finish up your platform and kind of deepen your engagements with the current clients you have. But what does the next year look like for Code My Views? Uh, it looks like a lot of probably travel for me, um, going to you know different cities in the U.S., uh, different cities abroad, and really just you know putting ourselves out there to see how we can help different agencies. And I know that we're going to be you know, really scaling up our developer hiring and building up the platform. So we're really excited about that. Connor and I get to do fun product stuff. Nice. And so to, to wrap things up a little bit, we, we, and like we said, we, we covered the advice for people trying to move up market. We covered what you guys are doing. But if, if people still want a bit more, if they want to look at the processes that you guys have developed and see how you work, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll follow up with uh, actually a link on all the processes with a quick video, but developmentworkflow.com is where they can get the uh, PDF that we talked about for the WordPress development workflow that talks about exactly how we spec out projects and, and get things right the first time. Okay, perfect. And yeah, and th- that's the thing. I, I feel like I can't emphasize this enough, but it's like, this extra work in the front that a lot of people are going to resist because they, they know how to build a site. They know how to do this. If you can just put this into your processes, like you're going to thank us later because <laughs> it makes such a big difference. It saves so many headaches down the road. Right. Yeah. But no, so Nate, I really want to thank you for coming on and talking with me today. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Andy. Great talking with you. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. It's funny how all the things most of us obsess over when trying to grow don't really matter in the end. While having the world's greatest designer or developer could land you a big client, if all your team has is raw skill, you just aren't going to be able to keep that client, which is what really matters. Yes, to move up market, you need to produce a good end result, and you need to stay on top of your field, but those are just the table stakes. If that's all you have, you simply aren't going to be able to make it without some huge headaches along the way. Nate proved this when working with agencies, but the same principles apply to agencies trying to work with bigger clients. What really sets agencies apart at these higher price points isn't skill, it's professionalism. For a local mom and pop shop, every single dollar matters. In fact, they'd probably welcome additional headaches if it meant they saved a few bucks. But for larger businesses, money isn't the most important part of the project, not even close. Success to them is getting a project done to specifications, on time, and on budget. They hate surprises. And with the way most small agencies work, surprises are practically guaranteed. Nate shared tons of specific tips to help improve your professionalism. And if you haven't checked out the process of Code My Views team follows at developmentworkflow.com, I'd do that now. But really, it just comes down to be professional, be predictable, and be reliable. If you can do that while delivering a quality product, you're ready to start moving up market and getting paid the money that comes with that. All right, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and head over to iTunes to leave a review. These reviews really help our rankings on iTunes and help us reach a wider audience. So if you could experiment to do that, I'd really appreciate it. Next week, I'll be back with agency expert Jason Swank, who shares everything he learned from building his agency to $12 million and what it was like when he finally sold it. Talk to you then. See ya. See ya.